Our, our test scripture reading for this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis, chapter 39, verse 1 through 23. Hear these words. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have anything to worry about except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day by day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. This Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. 
The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your love and your grace and your joy amongst us. And Lord, as we enter into this time of deep discipleship, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be attentive to your word speaking to us. Turn out the distraction of our day and our lives so that we may focus upon your word and your presence. Lord, may I become less so that you may become more in this moment. And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A question for you. Can God's presence only be realized when everything is going well? Let me say it another way. Can you only experience God when everything is going right, when life has given you everything you can imagine, when all the blessings of reality, all your plans, everything that you had dreamed of is going right? Is that the only time we recognize God's will for our lives or God's presence? Can God speak only when it's going well, or can God speak too when things are going to you know where in a handbasket? I think our, our quick response is, no, God doesn't just speak to us when everything is going right. And we offer that quick Sunday school answer that, yes, you know, God speaks to us at all times, but what does it really mean for us to experience that? to trust in that, to believe that God is present in our lives, not just when everything is going right for us, when we're rolling in it, so to speak, when life is easy. But how can we trust in God and hear from God when life isn't measuring up? when we've got more lemonades, lemons than we can count and nothing is perfect, does God still speak in those moments? Does God still speak when our life is like Joseph? Joseph was the oldest of two children to Jacob and Rachel. Jacob, who would soon be called Israel, had married this woman by the name of Rachel, but he had also married Leah as well because Laban refused to give him just Rachel because Leah was a little bit older. And so not only would he not let him marry Rachel, but he made him marry Leah first. And so together they had multiple children that formed what would be known as the nation of Israel, but Rachel was his love. And for the longest time, Rachel and Israel struggled to have children. 
And eventually they had a child in Israel, Jacob's old age, and they birthed their first child together naturally, and they called him Joseph. The pride of Jacob's eye. The pride of his love. Eventually they had another child, and they named him Benjamin, who became Joseph's favorite brother in another story. But Jacob had a favorite child, and we don't like to admit that when we are parents. We don't like to admit that one child is perhaps a little bit more favored than the other. We often say, well, we love all children equally when we know good and well some children get a little bit more attention than the other. Some child gets a little bit more time, a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more of our love than perhaps another. And in the case of Jacob, it was Joseph. Joseph was the twinkle of his father's eye, his beloved, his favorite of his whole baseball team field of children. It was Joseph that he had given a robe of royalty to, and it was Joseph who would stay up beside him, but it was also Joseph that encountered the ire of his brothers simply because Jacob, Israel, daddy, loved him a little bit more than the rest of us. So Joseph's brothers got a little bit resentful. A little bit angry at his brother simply because daddy loved them a little bit more than them. And so they concocted this plan. They convinced Joseph to go off for a little bit and they decided to hide him away, beat him up, so to speak, leave him for dead. But in the process of leaving him for dead, there was this caravan of Ishmaelites who came around. The Ishmaelites were kin of Ishmael, one of Abram's children. They came around and, they, and Joseph's brother saw them and said, how much do you want for our brother? And instead of negotiating the price that you would have expected in those days, they expected took what was the first offer, the lowest offer that they could find, and that was basically 20 shekels. A low-rate deal amounts to about two bucks. For two dollars, they casted away their brother, and when they got home, they took the beloved robe of their childhood brother to their daddy and said, well, dad, we don't know what happened. Joseph was killed, taken. We don't know what to expect. He's gone. He's no longer here. The story progresses to where we are now in chapter 39, to where Joseph is in slavery. He has been taken from Canaan, the land of Abram and his ancestors, to now Egypt. And he's been sold again from the Ishmaelites who sold him to this man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar was this leader among the Pharaoh's priests and guards. He was one of the chief stewards, one of the chief guards in charge of some of Pharaoh's responsibilities. He didn't get placed into just anybody's household. This is a guy who had Pharaoh's ear. 
who had power, who had responsibilities, and who has now purchased this man named Joseph. Well, he stayed there for a while and made himself a one of the servants. But Potiphar began to take notice of this man named Joseph. Started noticing that he was a little bit more charismatic than the others, had a little bit more responsibility to him than the others, had a little bit of sense of leadership, had a little bit of sense of know-how. And so Potiphar began to give him a little bit more investment, a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more duties. And eventually, Joseph got so many responsibilities because of his acumen, because of his skills, or any some other things about him, that soon this man named Joseph was running Potiphar's home. He had responsibility over the entire household, responsible for Potiphar's finances, his servants, his money. In today's parlay, he would be known as a household business manager, responsible for taking care of this servant so that this Potiphar, so that he could go and do his job. Potiphar trusted Joseph, <clears throat> trusted him with everything he had except for two things what to eat and his wife. Joseph didn't have to pick out for him what food he was going to eat day to day. That wasn't anything that Joseph had to concern himself with. But he also said, my wife is off limits. That's not going to be yours. Adultery was considered among the people of Israel one of the worst sins you could commit and a violation of not just that marriage trust, but the covenant between us and God. So Potiphar had told Joseph, you're not going to do anything to my wife while you're working around here. I'm going to trust you enough to be responsible. And so day by day, week by week went, and Joseph managed the household. And he did just as you would expect a household manager to do. He had the ability to come into the house when no one else was around. But, Pot, but Joseph had a little bit of an appeal to him. He was easy on the eye, so to speak, good-looking, handsome, charismatic. And Potiphar's wife had a desire for Joseph. Whether for power, whether for distrust of her husband, whether for frustration, for whatever reason, she decides to go after Joseph. Day after day after day after day, she says the same thing to him. Depending on your translation of come lie with me or come and sleep with me. The innuendo, innuendo is the same. Come and have sex with me. Joseph refuses and says, this isn't right for us to do this. This isn't holy. This isn't just. 
you're pretty and all, but I, I don't want to do this. Day after day, he tells her no. But whether for power, whether for her own giggles, for whatever reason, she continues to press in on him until one day, when they're all alone, she makes one more appeal to him. This time she gets a hold of what the New Living Translation calls his cloak. If you look at the Hebrew, it tells a, a deeper story of what's going on. The word that's used for cloak actually means undergarment. She's got a hold of his boxer, so to speak. It might sense to us when we look at the Hebrew that perhaps things got a little bit too intense. Maybe Joseph was starting to lean into the temptation a little bit. But he comes to his senses and says, no. And he runs out of the house, runs out of the house butt naked if he doesn't have his cloak with him. And he runs into the courtyard. Potiphar's wife is left with the cloak in her hands and she decides to come up with a plan to get even on this man who would not give in to her whims and wishes. She screams as loud as she can to where the servants who were outside the home in the courtyard could hear and they ran in and she comes up with this story. A story that seemed plausible and true because Joseph was an outsider. Not someone to be trusted. Not someone to be encouraged. This man, this Hebrew servant, tried to take advantage of me. I've got the cloak here to prove it. The servants have now become the witnesses to her story and attest to what she has told them. And eventually, Potiphar comes home. And she grabs Potiphar and says, we got to talk. I have Joseph's undergarments here. He tried to take advantage of me. And you brought him into this home. She's not just blaming Joseph for what's taking place. She's also blaming her husband, Potiphar, for even having this Hebrew into our lives. Now, what are you going to do about this? Potiphar, who's in charge of some of the king's resources, decides to not kill Joseph, but puts him in jail. Joseph has lost his trust. He's lost his place in the palace. He's hit rock bottom. If we hear just that story, we're going to think Joseph is a man who can't catch a break. His brothers sell him off to slavery. He gets into this guy's home. He starts to make a way for himself and then someone comes and it messes all up. We might look at Joseph and think, well, 
Here is a man that God is not working in. Here is someone that has hit rock bottom. There is no way that he will experience God's blessings. There's no way that God will be present in his life. There's no way for him to understand that God is doing something in his life. But pay attention to what's also going on in the story. As he's in Potiphar's home, as he's in the prison, God is with him. We hear in both sections of that narrative that it is God's blessings and God's presence that empowers Joseph to make it through Potiphar's home that provides for him as his brothers have casted him off and even provides for him while he's in jail. Even when he has hit rock bottom, God is empowering him to realize that there is something good that's going to come out of this. Something better, something a little bit more fruitful. There's going to be something good on the other side. Even when Joseph is at the bottom, God is still working in him. That's true for us. Even when we hit rock bottom, even when everything is going bad, even when all we can count are the negatives and all the problems, God is still working. And God is still present. And God is still active. And it is often those moments when we have hit rock bottom that we hear God the most. That seems counterintuitive to us. Because often when we hit rock bottom or when things go bad or when life isn't going the way we want, all we can do is come up with all of our complaints. All of our words of discouragement. All of our words of why things aren't the way we thought that it would be. We're quick to complain, but slow to reflect, where is God leading me in this moment? How is God using this time to shape me? And when we stop and we slow down and we ask God, okay, things aren't good right now, but what are you trying to show me in this moment? What are you trying to help me to see in this time? Where are you leading me to? We often see that God is molding us for something deeper, something better. and helping us to grow in our faith. God doesn't just work when everything is on high, when life is perfect and going well. God works almost more so when life isn't perfect, when everything is a mess. And when we experience that, we can see God shaping us and molding us and then setting us on the path for something new. 
In my life, when I've hit rock bottom or when I've gone through times of leadership that has stretched me or put me to my limits, it is often when God has shown up the most and empowered me for something deeper. My calling to ministry came not when everything was going right and when everything was perfect in my life. It came when my life was chaotic. When life was going through so many crazy things that I couldn't keep track. When getting chased out of a football field because you make a bad call during a football game you've refereed seemed like a normal part of life. My call came in one of the worst moments of my life. But it helped me to experience God calling me to broken people, broken churches, and broken communities. To help people see that God has something better for you than where you are right now to look under the rug, so to speak, to use language a friend of mine and I talk about sometimes and to see what's there. That came in one of my worst moments. But some reshaping of my call has happened in the last few years during this time we call COVID. Prior to COVID, I hid a lot of what we dealt with as a family. I hid and buried it and just banged my head against the car door at the end of the day. But COVID gave me space to say, not everything is right when it comes to invisible disabilities. Not everything is open and welcoming as we imagine them to be. COVID gave me the opportunity to speak into a passion of mine, and that is to speak for people that are voiceless. And they are powerless. And who often have no one championing their cause in the church. To speak for the autistic kid, the ADHD kid, the deaf person, the person with behavioral issues. That all came out of COVID. In a time when I'm wrestling with, are we even going to stay open or how to keep us online with just using my cell phone in the back on days like today when the internet's not working? Or even when everyone's yelling, I don't like masks or I like masks. A refocusing of my call came in that period. And a low point of leadership. God doesn't just work when everything's going well. God also works when everything's not going well. Same's true for you. Same's true for our church. God is using this time in our lives to shape and mold us for what comes next. If we're only looking for things to go right, for God to speak, we will miss the moments of deep shaping in our lives where God speaks the most powerfully and the most passionately about who we are called to be as followers of Christ and children of God. The question for us is, 
Are we willing to hear that prayer that we say so often before the sermon? Can we and will we have eyes to hear, eyes to perceive, and ears to hear where God is leading us today in our lives and in our church, in our community, to be faithful to God, not just when things are going well, but even to and more so when things are not going well. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear where you are leading us as your people in our lives. Help us to hear you not just when things are going well, but when things are not going well, so that we may be faithful unto you. In Christ we pray. Amen.